Okay. All right. And hello, everybody. Welcome to today's session. Uh, I see people are coming on in, um, filtering in. So we're going to give it just a couple minutes before we get things officially kicked off. So we can allow some more of our attendees to join us today. Mike and Justin, how are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing great. Talking, talking about the heat. We got some heat going on where Justin's at. <laughs> I'm here in Florida, so you can assume there will always be heat. <laughs> well, I got some heat. We just had some burritos and they were good. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Okay, we've got some people coming on in. Great, great. Good morning, Francesco. When the face shows up every once in a while on these uh, webinars. Right. Yep. And Francesco is modeling perfectly. Then we can all use the chat. We feel like talking to each other. It's right there. Good deal. Okay, we're going to let a couple more people in just another minute or so. We got people from Italy. I'm curious, where's everybody hailing from? I am. To answer your question, I got a bubble water here, strawberry flavored. We're trying something new, guys. Twisting mm -hmm. it up. Um, and I am here in St. Augustine Beach, Florida. So I took my run this morning. I didn't see any dolphins, but the surfers were in full force. <laughs> well, I'm in Denver. I didn't see any dolphins. No dolphins? Mm -mm. And I'm sipping on water today. Yeah. And I, I'm in Boston. Don't usually see dolphins, uh, <laughs> but uh, unusually hot today. 97 degrees in Boston. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we've got some um, people continuing to filter in, but I think we'll be mindful of the time and get everything kicked off. I would like to welcome everybody to today's session. My name is Kalia Garrido. I head up marketing and events here at Great Data Minds. Um, Great Data Minds is a collective of passionate data activists. We are on a mission to, a mission to modernize the world of data, and we do that in two different ways. I know it sounds really powerful, right? Um, the first, of course, is that we offer a full range of services around strategic planning, education, uh, deployment, implementation of critical data projects. And the second is that we focus on a lot of great content. Um, we have events, we produce uh, written content, videos, uh, things you know, just like what we're doing today and beyond. So I would welcome everybody to check us out at greatdataminds.com if they would like to learn more about what we have coming next. Um, so before we get things officially kicked off, uh, some housekeeping items. This, of course, is a webinar, um, so everybody's cameras and microphones are off, but we do wanna hear from you. I see some people using the chat already. That's great. You can also put in any questions that you have to the Q&A. We'll do our best to get um, those answered in line if it makes sense uh, to the discussion. And if not, then we will just uh, save some time at the end. Um, so some introductions uh, for our esteemed guests today, uh, starting with Justin Borgman. Justin is the CEO, the co-founder and a chairman of Starburst. Um, Justin is a subject matter expert on all things big data and analytics. 
Now, prior to founding Starburst, he was the VP and GM at Teradata, where he was responsible for the company's portfolio of Hadoop products. Um, Justin had joined Teradata in 2014 via the acquisition of his, com his company, Hadap, where he was the co-founder and CEO. Um, and then a fun fact, we were just talking about this. Justin is actually, Justin has uh, been gluten-free for more than 20 years, which is longer than I think the world knew about gluten. So maybe we have to credit you for the discovery of gluten intolerance. Trend, trendsetter, you know, what can I say? Trend, yeah, right. Total trendsetter. I know. Keep that information um, down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, when will it be cool to be lactose intolerant? That's what I you know, I guess, I guess never. Um, so uh, Mr. Lamp, of course, our very own uh, chief analytics officer here at Great Data Mines, might have built an amazing career working with enterprises to transform their analytics programs, both by modernizing antiquated programs and then also building best-in-class programs from the ground up. He's got just a whole bunch of experience as an executive analytics practitioner. Um, and he has worked with Global 100 Enterprises for many, many years. Um, fun Excuse fact about Don't Mike, tell him how many now. Don't tell him. I won't tell him how many. <laughs> I won't tell him how many, Mike. Um, yeah. The fun fact about Mike is that his favorite uh, new hobby is being a proud papa, in addition mm -hmm. to uh, his passions of cooking and guitar playing. And I can personally attest to both of those. Yeah. Not to the papa skills. So the pictures look great, but the cooking is on point and the guitar is great as well. Um, so with that, Mike, I will turn uh, the discussion over to you for today's executive um, insights discussion. Thank you, Kalia. Thank you very much. Welcome everyone. Justin, my friend, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you. Good to have you here today. Great so, to so everywhere I turn, I see op-eds and blogs and research papers all talking about transformation whether it's data transformation, digital transformation, whatever your flavor is, right? Um, and companies are starting to repeat those buzz phrases, but I'm not sure I'm seeing any real progress. And I wanted to ask you your thought. Well, I, I think it's hard. I, I will start by saying, I think it's, it's hard, uh, particularly if you work for a company that's been around a while. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's one thing if you're born in the cloud, you know, brand new startup, you can have a clean architecture, start from the ground up and, and, and look like the internet companies. But uh, for everybody else, it's a process. And I think it's important for people to realize that it's a process and it's not going mm -hmm. to happen overnight. And so how can, you, how can you create a strategy that is going to get you what you need today and, and build towards the future? Yeah, yeah and, and I will say there, we all experienced a tipping point over the last 18 months, right? 2020 was truly unexpected, uh, global, just truly disruptive events that forced action, right? I mean, we had the double black swan and oil, of course, COVID, you know, just shut the doors. But people are starting to wake up and they're starting to realize that agility is a very critical and important thing to do. Right? Um, how do we enable some of this agility? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you're right to point to you know the, the pandemic. If anything, has maybe accelerated uh, a need to 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 um, you know make progress on your digital transformation because so much of 
uh, consumer behavior has now become digital, right? You used to go to the grocery store, maybe now you're ordering grocery, groceries mm-hmm. for delivery. Uh, maybe you used to go to the bank and now you're doing banking online. And, and those transitions or changes in, in behavior have happened you know, probably much faster than anyone would have expected without the pandemic. So mm-hmm. to your point, how do you create agility? Um, you know, this is a big area where we work and spend a lot of time it is really this notion of providing access to the data sources that you have today and setting you up in a way um, for success both today and into the future. And, mm-hmm. and that's really what, what Starburst does. We're, we're a query engine that allows you to query data where the data lives. Uh, and that gives you a lot of flexibility to sort of create an abstraction layer above your data sources and, and kind of move things at your own pace, at your own time. You know, maybe today it's Teradata and Hadoop, and maybe tomorrow it's Snowflake and S3. And, you know, those transitions don't happen overnight. So how do you create an architecture that is agile, to your point, uh, that gives you what you need today and sets you up for the future? Yeah, and, and what I'm still, I mean, uh, as Kelly has said in the intro, I, I have been um, earning stripes on my back uh, more so than my shoulder for the last 25 years in this space. And we're still not hitting a mark on time to delivery. You know, we're, it's still taking way too darn long to enable uh, analytics, uh, uh, analytic pro- pro- processes. Um, and it's, it's more than performance benchmarking, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, absolutely. I, I think it's, you know, w- w- one issue I think is, is simply the fact that people often think about digital transformation as a uh, giant uh, project that you're just going to flip the switch and, and now everything's in the cloud. And I think mm. in reality, um, those types of endeavors set you up for, for failure. And it, it, it's probably more successful if you kind of go with the gradual approach. You, mm-hmm. you know, start to transition some assets, uh, you know, one at a time and, and create an architecture, again, that is flexible and allows you to, to, to move at your own pace. Mm-hmm. And, and- the, again, you know, that time to, time to market, it, it just takes us so long to capture and enable and present data for consumption. Uh, yeah, like, for example, customer 360. How, how many times have you heard people that they're, they're on the hunt for the customer 360 and it's still elusive to them? I mean, what do, what do we do? What yeah. Do we do about that? Yeah, well, that's a that's a use case we spend a lot of time around because customer 360 very often involves multiple data sources. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the the traditional model, the traditional enterprise data warehousing model basically necessitates creating ETL pipelines and moving all of that data into one single physical database. And and again, classically, that might have been Teradata on-prem, maybe today, maybe it's something like Snowflake, but regardless of your your technology choice there for for data warehouse, it's the model that I think has challenges with it Uh, because there is so much upfront work required before you can really try to get the various pieces of of your customer picture together to, to understand that behavior. And so, you know, what we do at Starburst is we kind of turn the data warehousing model on its head. We turn it inside out and basically allow you to run SQL queries against data where it lives so that you can join, you know, a, a, a table in one database system that's maybe your billing data with a table in another system, maybe it's S3 that has, you know, your web traffic information, your clickstream data. And you can, mm-hmm. you can start to do correlations and do your analytics across these different pieces of that customer journey uh, without having to necessarily do all that data movement up front. And, and I think that's an example of, 
of increasing or, or, or really speeding up um, that time to insight. Mm -hmm. So that kind of triggers a couple of thoughts. So a couple of things here at Great Data Minds that we really believe in and we're, and we're trying to help companies um, join us in this uh, quest. First is taking a very lean and agile approach mm -hmm. with the analytic value stream because we have to continuously innovate, continuously integrate, you know, continuously test, um, and build data products that have a life cycle. Right? Um, we also believe that analytics needs to scale where we put, we put the tools in the hands and the data in the hands of the business community so that they can do a lot of hypothesis testing. Is that what you're, you guys are getting after here too? Because my sense is this ability to very quickly consume information from disparate sources via Starburst could enable my hypothesis testing at scale. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think much the way that the software engineering, you know, space uh, transitioned to agile, you know, maybe 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I think similarly data engineering and data analysis needs to adopt a, a similar kind of methodology because, uh, you know, the speed of iteration is, I think, critical to, to success. In fact, it's actually something I talk about to our own company, um, just in terms of how we operate as a startup. We're always learning from our customers, learning from the things that we do. And to me, success is more dictated by the speed with which we iterate rather than getting it perfect every time. You know, like you're mm -hmm. not going to get all the answers right. The key is learning from those mistakes and then iterating quickly. And so you have to set yourself up for that kind of agility, I think, as you pointed out. And so, yeah, so yeah I, think, I think this model, uh, I'm, obviously I have my own biases here, but I think the ability mm -hmm. to, to query the data where it lives allows you to iterate faster. You don't need to create a custom ETL pipeline for every hypothesis. You can just execute that SQL query, get the results, decide, is that really what I was looking for? Refine it, write another SQL query, get the results. And you can do that iterative process much more quickly, um, you know, in, in a span of minutes or hours over the course of a day, as opposed to over weeks uh, of, of trying to create new plumbing to enable that hypothesis testing. And yeah. yeah. Did Mike freeze <laughs> or did I freeze? <laughs> can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, yeah. good. I wasn't Mike sure. Mike froze. Well, yep. I'll, I'll, I'll tell a quick customer story. I think along the lines of what Mike was talking uh, about um, while he hopefully comes back. Um, <laughs> you know, Comcast is one of our customers and I think they've put these practices into place. You know, mm -hmm. really. Oh, hey, Mike, you're back. Am I back? Yes, you are. Yeah. Okay. My internet connection was unstable. I just got the message. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back on the iteration piece. Um, um, it, in the machine learning space, it's incredibly important that we constantly do cycles and we have to do them quickly. I mean, yep. these, these data scientists are trying to figure out what features are really going to be the indicative uh, um, independent variables to predict those outcomes, right? Um, so getting to that data set that looks like it's the right stuff is, uh, requires a lot of iteration. But once I get to that right data set, now I want to, uh, I pretty much want to persist that data set. Does Starburst support something like that? Because I have to do model training, model testing, and, and I don't want my input um, changing every time I issue the query. Yep. 
Well, the way we think about the world is uh, we expect that you're always going to have a variety of different data sources, that you're never going to get everything loaded into one place. But having said that, we do think, you know, the area that's going to have the greatest gravity for you uh, over the long run is going to be a data lake. And the reason we say that is that data lakes have a lot of benefits to them, economic benefits, first and foremost, that you're able to store data in really inexpensive commodity storage. On-prem, mm -hmm. that could be Hadoop or some type of object storage, or in the cloud, it's going to be S3 or Azure Data Lake Storage or Google Cloud Storage. And in any of those cases, uh, you're basically getting the, the most bang for your buck in terms of how that data is stored. And then you can leverage a query engine like, like Starburst to query that data directly where it lives. Uh, you can use open data formats like ORC or Parquet or uh, Delta or Iceberg. There are a number of these open, open source data formats. So you don't have lock-in with any one particular uh, technology. And so we would say, you know, basically access the data where it lives uh, and use a data lake for everything else. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, you know, I think a data warehouse still plays a role in that, but it becomes more of a, a single data source rather than the end all be all where you're trying to aggregate all the data into one place. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of companies have, have put you know, years, decades even, um, and tens of millions of dollars into building out their enterprise data warehouse. And then these data scientists come along and say, you don't have anything in here that I, is useful for me. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it was built for you know financial reporting and whatnot. So, all right, so you mentioned lake, you mentioned uh, you know, there's data warehouse, there's data lake, there's the lake house, um, there's yeah. mesh, there's fabric. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, so what data XXX would you consider Starburst to be fulfilling? Yeah, well, that's a great, that's a great question. I would say that, um, and, and maybe just to define briefly for the audience, if anyone is unfamiliar with any of these terms, obviously data warehouse can assume everybody knows what a data warehouse is, uh, you know, something like Snowflake or Teradata or Oracle or IBM, um, you know, data lake being kind of low cost object storage with open data formats. Lakehouse is a newer term that basically refers to doing data warehousing analytics within a data lake. So again, getting the types of performance and functionality that you would expect from a classical data warehouse, but mm -hmm. doing that within a data lake context. So being able to do updates and deletes of data in a data lake that is now possible in the, in the world. Uh, data mesh is an emerging term that kind of refers to the decentralization of data. And basically this notion that consolidation is not only you know, challenging from a practical and, and pragmatic point of view, um, but may actually not even be best for your enterprise because there's benefits to decentralizing um, uh, the data to where the domain expertise lies within the organization. Mm -hmm. And I, I think of data fabric as, as sort of a, a variation of, of data mesh in, in my view. So to answer your question, I think we excel as a lake house for data that you do have within a data lake and for data mesh architectures where we're really trying to position ourselves as the query engine for the data mesh. Essentially, mm -hmm. if you're embracing a data mesh architecture and there's decentralization uh, of, of, of resources, then you know, th there is no better technology in our view uh, for querying that data where it lives. So uh, I guess I would say Lakehouse and data mesh. Um, we're particularly excited about the direction of data mesh though. I think that's a, a really interesting um, uh, change or paradigm shift that, that we're seeing in the industry. So I've been trying to figure out how we're going to help our clients be um, 
future ready, if you will, mm -hmm. right? You know, because um, you know, th throughout the course of my career, um, Oracle was the state of the art database, yep. right? Then, then I got exposed to Teradata. That was yep. the state of the art database. Of course, Informatica was the state of the art ETL tool and business objects and you know all the OBI tools. Um, were those were all state of the art at the time? You know, back in um, you know mid mid to late nineties, right? Yep. Um, now, now a lot of that is is legacy. Hadoop was state of the art behind those guys, and then that became kind of legacy, really. You know. Yep. Um, so, as I'm trying to be future ready, and I have this vision, Justin, of being able to, to encapsulate your, your content, your data as an asset, and yep. then be able to swap out the underlying um, uh, processes and technologies that run upon that. Is that what you guys are heading towards? Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I briefly mentioned the word abstraction layer early on. And I, I think that's, uh, that's really key. If you're trying to build an architecture that can stand the test of time, you want to create abstraction wherever you can in that stack, because it gives you the ability to, to mix and match pieces and swap things out as times change. And I think, you know, if history has taught us anything, it's that certainly storage technologies change over time. Uh, you know, database systems change over time. You know, Mike Stonebreaker, famous MIT professor, famously said, there's no one size fits all database. I think that's, you know, more true than, than ever at this mm -hmm. point. And that means you want to create a design um, that allows for that flexibility. And so that's, again, where we think we can play and the data mesh concept really resonates by, by leveraging, you know, something like Starburst as a query engine uh, that can access data wherever it lives and even hide from the end user, hide from the analyst, if you will, where that table lives. So you're joining mm -hmm. table A and table B. You don't need to know that table A is in Teradata today, but maybe tomorrow it's in something else. Uh, or table B is in Hadoop today, but it's going to be S3 tomorrow. You know, if you can kind of hide that, then you are decoupling your end users from where the data is stored. Because mm. at the end of the day, there's not an analyst on the planet that cares what system the data is stored in. They just want fast results. And, and that's really your job, I think, as a data architect or, or data platform owner to deliver, you know, fast results to the business questions that the analyst wants to, to ask. And, uh, and it doesn't really matter where it's stored. And, and I think if you do that successfully, you have the ability to, to change and evolve that architecture over time. Again, those data sources may change uh, and you get a lot of uh, longevity out of your architecture. It's gonna be a lot less painful down the road. Uh, you know, you mm -hmm. mentioned um, Teradata or classic data warehouses. Sometimes the data scientists may, may have challenges with that because they can't run the types of analytics they want or can't get mm -hmm. access to the data that they're looking for. Again, if you leverage this kind of abstraction, then then that's not a problem. You can mm -hmm. you can move the data to a platform that's going to be more amenable to them. So the, let's stick on the abstraction layer for a second. So it is it, it feels kind of like the concept of virtualization, right? Where yep. I've got this, I design you know as a data architect, I lay out my schema, and then behind that is all you know ignoring the man behind the curtains kind of work is going on. Is is yep. Is, it, is that what uh, Starburst is enabling? Yeah. It, more than that? No, it, in, in a lot of ways, it is a kind of a next generation of data virtualization. We, we get questions sometimes from uh, skeptical customer prospects who say, you know, isn't this just like Composite or Denodo or, or other data virtualization technologies of, of 15 years ago? And, mm -hmm. and in many cases, those technologies 
disappointed people from a, a performance and scalability standpoint. You know, it sounded great, but didn't give them the query results. I think what's changed, um, particularly with our technology, um, really being built initially at, at Facebook and used by LinkedIn and Twitter and Airbnb and Netflix and so forth, is, is that it was built to scale and built to be performant on hundreds of petabytes of data and thousands of users. And so mm -hmm. the technology is fast and it's, it's an MPP design, massively parallel processing design. So it's really like the top half of a database system. It's the, it's the query engine component that you would expect to see in something like Snowflake or in something like Teradata, but without the storage. And mm -hmm. because of that design, you get much better performance. So, so yes, it's, it's very similar in concept to data virtualization, but brought to a much higher degree of performance and scalability. So help me understand a little better in, in the audience. I, I'm, I'm hoping I need to understand reflects theirs. Um, how do you get the scale? I mean, what is it? Is it, you know, is it an auto scaling kind of thing? How do I, how do I do this? How do I scale this thing? Yeah, well, uh, particularly if you happen to be leveraging the cloud and, and we deploy either on-prem or in the cloud, so there's, there's maximum flexibility there. But if you are using the cloud or any virtualized environment, then you do have the ability to use our auto scaling functionality, which does mm -hmm. allow you to scale out as needed. And because it is true storage compute separation, um, you can scale up and scale down compute uh, really as needed. That could be dynamic based on CPU. You know, if we see a lot of queries coming in, we can start to add more, more compute nodes, uh, or it could be based on time of day. You know, we have customers who know that every day from nine to five, they're gonna get a lot of queries, but you know, after five, it really trails off. So they'll shrink the cluster. Uh, and, and therefore you're getting much better cost uh, efficiency out of your cloud infrastructure at the same mm -hmm. time. So do I need to like be monitoring and, and administering that, that cluster of VMs continuously as a user? Or? Um, well, no, that's a big part of the value add that, that we bring to the table is really that cluster management. And again, you can, you can configure these things um, based on the parameters that are relevant to you and it will take care of the rest. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's, it's really designed to be as low maintenance as possible. Okay. Um, so yeah, it does feel like a real good fit for cloud deployments where I'm just asking for virtual machines with certain configurations and then your product then. So if I'm a ThoughtSpot and client yep. and I have the Starburst schema exposed to, to me as a client, yep. when I push, when I type in my natural query search, is that when the VM clusters light up? Yeah, how does that work? Well, um, more than likely, you would you would want to have some some number of uh, machines running already, just so that you could handle that first query quickly. But it, if not, if it was just a, uh, a very, very tiny cluster, then yes, we would see that CPU is being maxed out. And that would be a signal for us to start to expand the cluster. Um, mm -hmm. It does take a few minutes for those additional um, elements to add. So it's, it's not as on demand as a single query, but the second mm -hmm. query will be much faster than the first one. Gotcha, gotta, gotta prime the pump. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so uh, you mentioned all three of the clouds. Um, are you seeing uh, the need or uh, the request from, from customers to be able to query across clouds? 
Yes, and, and that is very much where we're going as a, as a company here now. You know, With this data mesh concept, being able to query the data where it lives, we're taking that now to the next level. And we recently announced a few weeks ago a new capability within our product that we call Stargate. So Starburst Ooh. Stargate. We, we, uh, we like astronomy and, and those types of names here for our products. Stargate is basically a Starburst to Starburst connector that allows you to have a Starburst cluster running in, let's say, Azure and one running in GCP and be able to actually join a table in Azure with a table in GCP and do that, uh, that processing efficiently by pushing the processing to where the data is and only transferring what's required to complete that join or deliver the results. And so you're able to minimize egress charges, which all of these cloud vendors mm -hmm. uh, charge you when you're taking data out and get pretty good performance by doing cross-cloud analytics, which we, we think we're really kind of the only guys in town doing that uh, today mm. in the industry. Interesting. Interesting. So um, can I be portable then? If I, so let's say I provision Starburst in, in my lab in GCP, you know, mm -hmm. great, great data lab, great data mines innovation labs, right? Um, yep. And then can I, can I port that deployment like over to AWS or Azure? Well, you, you, you certainly could. You could, you could move your, your data if you wanted to, or you could leave your data there. But yes, you could, you could start up a Starburst cluster in, let's say, AWS. Let's say that you negotiate a better, better deal with AWS and you're getting a higher discount there. You could run your compute there and be you know, reaching out to GCP for whatever data that you have left there. I mean, I think the goal as we expand on this vision um, and this may be provocative, but but is to, to commoditize the clouds to some degree. I mean, I mm -hmm. think if we can be the, the query engine across where the data lives, then it doesn't actually matter where the data lives, which which gives you a lot of leverage as a customer to, to play GCP, Azure, and AWS off of each other. Mm -hmm. so, so how does Starburst compare or contrast with the likes of a Databricks? Yeah, so Databricks, uh, I will say first and foremost, is, is one of my favorite companies. Um, they're, they're a fellow portfolio company. Andreessen led our, our last round, uh, 100 million Series C. They've obviously been investors in Databricks a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, the way I think about these two products together, Databricks is ideal for the data scientist training machine learning model, you know, doing AI, um, mm -hmm. creating a recommendation engine. Um, in fact, we have a lot of retail customers where there's a recommendation engine. If you bought this pair of pants, you might like this pair of shoes. Uh, and then they leverage us for SQL and BI. And that's really mm -hmm. our strength. Uh, you know, We are a SQL engine, um, it, it, whereas Spark is much more of a general purpose framework for, uh, for a variety of tasks really geared towards that data scientist. So I think of these as very complementary. The beauty of the two platforms is they can read from the same data. They can read mm -hmm. from the same open data formats. And Databricks has been investing recently in a new format called Delta, which we can also query via SQL. So, mm -hmm. um, so we have a lot of customers that use both of these. Again, you know, Databricks for the data scientist and Starburst for you know the SQL analyst, the BI user uh, who's maybe leveraging Tableau or you mentioned ThoughtSpot, you know, to query the data. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna poke, I'm jumping around a little bit. Um, I'm gonna poke back on the cross cloud uh, question. Um, sure. When I'm doing something like that, I'm, I'm, I'm issuing queries across uh, cloud providers. Um, 
What are you guys doing around honoring things like export controls and the EU uh, you know, boundary controls where the data can't leave their ge geographic space? Yeah, well, that's a great use case for Stargate because you're, you're absolutely right. The world is uh, becoming increasingly complex when it comes to regulatory environments and, and Europe is, is leading the way with a lot mm. of that. Um, and because of that, there are requirements for you know, what's known as data sovereignty, meaning that uh, essentially if the data is created in Switzerland, it needs to stay in Switzerland. And so mm -hmm. a great application of Stargate is you have a Starburst cluster running in Switzerland and you have a Starburst cluster running you know, somewhere else. And uh, you know, we can push that processing to where the data lives without having to move any of the data that's not supposed to leave the country. And so the only data that's leaving is maybe the aggregated results or, or, or what have you, which you can, you can ensure is compliant via our access controls. So mm -hmm. this has become a really uh, great tool for multinational companies that do have a footprint in a variety of different regions, want to be able to understand their business holistically, you know, from a global perspective, but are challenged by the, you know, privacy or sovereignty mm -hmm. requirements of those individual countries. Right. Right. And, and that is a challenge and, and it's getting more and more complex. I'm watching the, each state in the, in the U.S. is starting to adopt and, and create adaptations to it. I'm also seeing um, there's a lot of focus and governance around the actual AI analytic products that are running on top of the data products as well. Yep. Um, so um, you, 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 you mentioned Stargate as um, you know the, the next um, evolution of the Starburst yep. product family. Um, so you blew us away in 2020. Uh, my, my business partner, Julie Burroughs, and I, when, when we came to know about you, uh, actually, it was a fun uh, reason. We were responding to an RFP that wanted a data mesh. And one of our trusted uh, architects said, you got to look at Starburst. And when we looked at it, we went, oh, my goodness. Right? Um, so what's going to be my next aha moment, Justin? Yeah, well, without giving too much away, I'll, I'll simply say that I think, you know, we, we love this data mesh concept. We're continuing to sort of push that envelope to the next degree. And I think an area that we'll be exploring next year uh, will be around data sharing as well. And, and you may, you know, data sharing is becoming a, more of a hot topic. You know, Snowflake has an approach that requires you to be a Snowflake customer. So Snowflake can share with other Snowflake customers. Uh, but if your data is not in Snowflake, you're kind of out of luck. And because mm -hmm. our model uh, really is, is data source agnostic, we can deliver a data sharing experience that is much more flexible and much more expansive by being able to work with different data sources. So, you know, you might be a financial data provider and your customer may have data sitting in Oracle or Teradata or Hadoop or what have you that they want to join with the data that you provide, that you're selling. Mm -hmm. And, and we'll, we'll be able to enable that. So that's an area of, of active uh, research and development. Uh, you know, so not only intercompany um, data mesh, but now even you know, data mesh outside of the company. That's amazing. Amazing. I love your technology. So give, what's, what's, your, what's your final parting thoughts, Justin, for the audience? Uh, final thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, my final thought, I will simply say that I think we're in a really interesting time in terms of data history or data evolution, mm -hmm. where uh, there is so much change going on, going back to one of your first points today around a transformation, that it really is a great opportunity to rethink everything. 
I mean, rethink your entire architecture, the way that you're, you're doing things. You know, traditionally, we've had you know, 30, 40 years of this enterprise data warehouse model. And this is an opportunity to, to think about doing things differently. And I encourage you to, to read more about data mesh and other alternative approaches. Um, mm. I, I think you know, we, we probably won't have another um, period in, in history, at least anytime soon, that is as open to change and open to new, new uh, approaches as we are right now today. So take advantage. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, to our earlier dialogue, um, we learned that we're, we are not in control. <laughs> um, massive events are going to come that require us to be as agile as possible. Uh, yeah. Require us to start being much more mindful about simula simulating future events, right? So, um, yeah. yeah, when I first, when I first was exposed to the data mesh concept uh, and the, the architecture, uh, I wrote a, a little opinion piece and saying, what are, what are we fixing here? You know, because to your point, it totally flipped everything that we've been teaching for the last you know, 25 years around the architecture of the enterprise data warehousing, right? Yep. Uh, and the mesh kind of flipped it on its ear and I scratched my head saying, is this the, is this the right thing? But as I've worked and worked with it, I, I see the beauty of having it in my arsenal, right? Um, and, and that time to market is really the key and the ubiquitous access to data. I don't care where it lives, to your point. I just want access to it so that I can enable my workloads. So yeah. amazing. Totally. Justin Boardman, CEO of Starburst. Thank you so much, sir. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Great questions. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Oh, well, hold on. We got a question here. Yeah, definitely question question time. So I had dropped a little note in the um, chat and I know Francesco saw it. Um, if anybody else has any questions, this is the time. You can go ahead and drop that into either the Q&A or the chat. But the first question that we have coming in um, is how do you technically manage a join between a relationship and a, a relational and a JSON file? And then there's a second part to this. How do you handle it when the JSON file has embedded arrays? Yeah. So uh, that, is, that is a great question that I will probably defer to a solution architect at Starburst. <laughs> but I can definitely tell you that we do, we do work with JSON files. So that, that's not an issue, uh, reading from JSON and, and joining that with a traditional you know, RDBMS table. Mm -hmm. uh, how we do it, though, is a, is a question that is, uh, 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 I guess, above, above what I can answer. So yeah, exactly. We'd love to you know, have a follow up conversation with someone here can, who can go into that level of detail. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love to chat about that as well. Thank you, uh, Francesco. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great deal. Um, I have a question. <clears throat> so, Mike, you mentioned um, just briefly about uh, our labs. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell everybody a little bit more about our MSP relationship with Starburst and that we have them running in our, actively in our GDM innovation labs? Yeah, um, yeah, and that's just a recent um, uh, event that took place as we did enter into a managed service provider relationship with us, uh, Starburst, um, Starburst Technology. And we are announcing, uh, actually we just announced it, that uh, Great Data Minds is gonna uh, be running an innovation lab that we can use uh, to enable analytics as a service service rather, or to enable hypothesis testing for companies that don't have the wherewithal to be doing all the technical work internally, uh, so they can start to leverage our labs to enable their um, uh, creativity in the analytics space. So we're pretty excited about um, powering that up with Starburst. Yeah. 
Very cool. Great. We're excited as well. Yeah. Yeah. All righty, awesome. sir. Yeah, I think that's about it, guys. Yeah. I don't see any other questions coming in. So, I mean, if anybody uh, is looking to find more information for um, Justin and his Teller team, you can uh, reach them at starburst.io. And then, of course, if you're looking for any more information or to connect with Great Data Minds, you can find us at greatdataminds.com. Um, we thank everybody so much for their time today. Thank you for joining us, and we wish everybody uh, a wonderful day. Have a great Thanks day, everyone. All. Take care, Justin. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm, Bye-bye.